Well, tonight we're going to look at a message entitled, A Good-Looking Church. And I'll look around. I think you all can stay. I think you meet the qualifications. I might not. You can vote on that later. And really, our physical structure here, I mean, it's a beautiful church. So many people will just be traveling through and stop by for random reasons. Pastor John and I have ended up talking to many over the years. And they'll just be amazed at the outside. And then they'll look in here and really be blown away at just how beautiful of a structure this is. But think about it. Don't answer out loud. We won't take the time. But where's the most unique, maybe even weird, strange place you've seen a church meet or heard of a church gathering? I've read about, heard of, maybe even seen churches meeting in open fields, coffee shops. Some of y'all are like me, and you could get into that. But, uh, you know, we got coffee here. Um, but, uh, you know, barns, cathedrals, beautiful buildings, and, of course, a coffee shop. It'd be rented out. It wouldn't be, you know, Starbucks or anything. I've heard of churches, maybe new church plants, meeting in public schools. And I'll commend that public school administrator for letting them rent the space. I mean, that's pretty cool, but I've known of that. I've heard of churches meeting in movie theaters, I think just as they're getting started, and so they can rent out the space maybe on a Sunday. There's a church in France that meets in a treehouse. I don't have the picture to put up, but you might want to Google that later. It's unique looking. Um, I saw a church in Finland that meets in a cave. Church in the UK that, UK that meets on a bridge. Uh, we've probably all seen churches in shopping centers. Another church in France meets on a volcanic plug, which that, that term was new to me, but it's basically some magma kind of plugs up the hole as it hardens. It's, it's a volcanic plug. I feel like that one might add a little urgency to the invitations. If you were to die today, and all of a sudden the ground starts rumbling a little bit. I don't know. I, I'm not sure if the preaching's real hot and fiery there or not. Uh, there's a church in Columbia, South Carolina, meets on the side of a canyon. Again, uh, maybe a little more meaning to the, uh, the invitation. I'm not sure. But while some of those might seem a bit strange, even a bit concerning, I don't know, I'm glad that God's people can gather together anywhere. And quite frankly... Regardless of the, the physical appearance of the building, it can be a good-looking church no matter where it meets. And there's some of, some of the churches in the world that meet in the most beautiful places. But really, according to biblical standards, they're not a biblical good-looking church. I'm glad that we can gather together anywhere, and I'm glad that Jesus assures us that where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them in Matthew 18, 20. But I'll be honest, it seems like we as American Christians can sometimes care more about having a beautiful building than truly a beautiful church. 1 Corinthians 6.19 really puts it on an individual level. It says what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And we'll talk about several specifics. We'll be in the book of Revelation. That's not up there, but you can feel free to start turning there if you'd like. We'll talk about several specifics, but really, if we want to be a good-looking biblical church, a church that Jesus could commend, it needs to be individuals who are living the right way with Jesus. We want a strong church. Let's be strong individuals that do everything we can to help our local assembly as well. Let's never be content with a beautiful building, although we should take care of the building God's given us. Let's never be content with comfortable services, even though I'm grateful for heat and AC. Let's never be content with things going smoothly or programs for kids and teens, a variety of Sunday school classes, even though I'm grateful for all of those and involved in all of those. Let's constantly strive to be a good-looking church in the eyes of Jesus. We're going to pray in just a moment and dive into two churches mentioned in Revelation 2 and 3. 
If you're a student of the Bible, you know there are seven mentioned. We'll just look at the two that Jesus had nothing to critique them about. He had nothing but commendation, nothing but positive things to say. And I felt the Lord leading me, hey, that's a pretty good set of characteristics for us to start to look at. Because, yes, it fits those two specific local churches. And really, I believe it fits two specific historical periods as well. But if these are things that Jesus praised them for, these are things we can do. Now, we're not facing the difficult circumstances, the persecution that they're facing. But I guarantee you, their strong faithfulness to Christ did not start the day persecution started. Their strong faithfulness started before. Well, right now, largely in America, we're before. I don't know how much before, maybe not a whole lot before persecution comes. But now is absolutely the right place to start. We'll look at some specific characteristics of good-looking churches that we can each seek to look like and ultimately to live like. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for showing us in your word characteristics that should mark every good-looking church, that should mark every church. And I pray if any of those aren't in our church that they'll be added to our church, that those characteristics will mark our church. But as we each look at our own hearts and lives, I pray that these will each mark each of us, each of us as individual Christians, each of our families, and of course, each of our Sunday school classes, you know, each of our groups, each of our, our families in the church, but especially each of our individual hearts. I pray that you'll bless the message. Thank you for the young people that have gotten involved already in the service. pray that you'll bless the activity to follow. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, first of all, and my compliments to you, if you knew which two churches I was going to without having to look, I'll be honest, in preparing for this message, I had to look. But uh, I'm going to first of all look at the church of Smyrna, the church at Smyrna. This is a suffering, persecuted church that Jesus praised and encouraged. They were going through it. They were up against it. They had almost nothing but bad outwardly. And yet in that very difficult environment, in that environment that is frankly far worse than anything we've ever faced here in America as Christians, Jesus had nothing but good things to say about them. We'll be in Revelation chapter 2 and starting in verse 8. Revelation chapter 2 and starting in verse 8 in just a moment. And I think there's a lesson here for all of us. Sometimes suffering does far more good than harm. There's the expression, a famous one from Fox's Books of Martyrs, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And you can look throughout the world, even in many parts of the world right now, and where the persecution is the worst, that's where the church is growing the most. And it never ceases to amaze me. But the thing is, Jesus is the same there as he is here. We can grow now. We can grow individually now. We can grow that much now. In the book of Acts, the persecuted, scattered Christians going through horrible Roman persecution, they carried the gospel everywhere they went. I think Satan was thinking he was winning a battle. I'm going to scatter these Christians. I'm going to put them through misery here on earth. And they just went everywhere and told more people about Jesus. And again, it's those difficult times. Even here in America, I think we as Americans turn to God far more on September 12th 2001, than any other time period I can remember since. As a nation, I'm not saying us individually, but as a nation, September 12th and the couple of months following was a special time in America. We went through horrible th a horrible thing that I wouldn't wish on any country or any individual or any of the families affected, but God used it in some great ways. Let's turn to God now, and then if the heat gets turned up, we can turn to God even then. Well, we're going to start in Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. It says, and unto the angel of the church of Smyr in Smyrna, write, these things saith the first 
and the last, obviously talking about Jesus, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. But be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be heard of the second death. Smyrna was a busy seaport. It was, unfortunately, the center for the imperial cult of Rome. A lot of Caesar worship, I believe it started with worshiping past dead Caesars. But then a couple Caesars started to want that worship directed to themselves. And it was even insisted that every individual citizen there offer a pinch of incense in worship to the Caesar. These Christians wouldn't do it. Some of the Jews you just heard about did. We'll talk about them more in a bit. These genuine Christians refuse to do it. Smyrna, the name, it's related to myrrh, it's related to bitterness, it's related to something that really has to be crushed for its scent to come out. And you can just see all of that captured here as they're going through a difficult situation, mainly because they weren't willing to worship Caesar. I'm grateful we can have different opinions about this president or that president, but we've never been forced to worship that person. Some people almost do, and no matter who, no matter what president you're thinking of, I can't imagine worshiping a president. But at the same time, these people, they went through persecution because they wouldn't worship the Caesar. It was said that surrounded by one of the ancient world's most beautiful cities, this congregation experienced the ugliness of oppression. Smyrna is still around today. It's called Izmir. I didn't look into that current city, but apparently it is around still today. You can look that up later if you want. But we can look, wow, okay, I sure hope that if we go through that bitterness and that fiery persecution, if someone does ever say, hey, worship God or don't be able to buy and sell, or, you know, don't worship God, worship Caesar, worship a president, worship a man, or don't be able to buy and sell, worship a man, worship a false God, or else that we'll be ready to stand. But the way to stand then is to stand now. The way to take a bold stand for God then is to take a bold stand for God now. The way to live boldly then is to live boldly now. And I'm glad it's a lot easier right now. But I could, you know, have a little internal debate. Oh, yeah. With, man, with God's help, Holy Spirit giving me extra grace, I could take that bold stand. But then I've got to look at my life and say, am I doing it now? I hope so. And if you're like, I want to do it then, look at these characteristics, and I hope we'll get busy now. We'll go fairly quickly through several characteristics of this church. First of all, Jesus identified them with them in their suffering. We read it in verse 8 just a moment ago. It says, unto the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, these things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. These Christians in Smyrna face the fear of death. And notice, Jesus introduces himself differently to every one of the seven churches. He says things that mean something special to them. To this church that were risking their lives for him, he reminds them, I'm the one that was dead and is now alive. I'm the one that conquered even death. The worst thing they're threatening you with, the thing that they think will make you cower in fear and worship Caesar, I've already defeated it. If you die, you're coming home to me. And he's in control. He says, and is alive. I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. He recognizes what they're going through in risking their lives. He recognizes the physical, the financial poverty they're going through and he identifies with them. Sometimes the most meaningful thing in a trial 
It's just knowing someone gets it, someone sees it, and someone cares. Jesus is letting them know, hey, I see it. I see what you're going through. And he sees everything you and I go through for him as well. And maybe you're taking a stand, and it's nothing like Smyrna. It's nothing like, hey, worship Caesar, worship this man. It's nothing like idol worship. It's nothing like the threat of your life. But maybe some of you are going through the threat of losing a job. Or maybe we will sometime soon. Maybe it's the threat of being laughed at, something simple like that. But who knows? Maybe it's the threat of alienating family members and friends all because you're serving Jesus. He's there with you. He gets it. They mocked him too. They took his life. I read this quote in the Met a lot. No matter what experiences God's people may have, their Lord identifies with them. These people at Smyrna were rejected by other people, but accepted by God. Next, we see that Jesus recognized what they gave up for him. Any sacrifice we make, whether that's friends we would lose, family members, that the relationship becomes strained just because we're living for Christ and won't say maybe their sinful activities are okay, whether it is a financial loss, whatever it is, Jesus sees it. Revelation 2.9 talks about in poverty, but thou art rich. Realizing that Jesus sees and knows is perhaps the best comfort. Realizing you have never gone through a trial as a Christian alone, and you never will. I won't ask you to raise a hand because that wouldn't make any sense, but anybody going through something right now, they ain't telling anybody else in this room. It's hitting you hard, and you don't even feel comfortable sharing it. First of all, know that you are among friends, among family, and you can share it with us. We won't make you stand up in the middle of a service and tell us your deepest, darkest burden and, you know, all of that. But you can share with us. But even if you don't feel comfortable, even if it's a situation that you can't talk about with anybody else, Jesus knows, and he's right there walking through it with you. They had poverty from being cut off from commerce for not worshiping Caesar. They didn't necessarily lose their lives, at least all of them, or at least right away. But almost reminds me of the end times in Revelation and the tribulation. They didn't have to take the mark of the beast, but they wouldn't give a pinch of incense and worship to Caesar, and so they were cut off from commerce, not able to be a part of most of the buying and selling, not able to be a part of the financial system. But it's possible to be poor and rich at the same time. They were poor financially, but rich spiritually, which is so much more important. And their heavenly father is pretty rich. He can provide for him every bit that he wants to, every bit that fits his perfect plan, and he did. But it's also possible to be rich financially and poor spiritually. Man, if we're going to be a good-looking church, if we're going to be good-looking Christians in the eyes of Jesus, we need to be willing to be rich spiritually, no matter what it means financially. And then if God blesses, great. If God blesses by bringing poverty and using it, great. It it's, reminds me of the expression that it's also possible to be a success and a total failure at the same time. There are a lot of people who in the world's eyes, they are a success. Maybe it's a happy family. Maybe it's a good moral life. Financially, money in the bank, all a lot of good things. They are a success by almost everyone's standards. But they're a failure because they have no relationship with God or they're not doing anything that will last for eternity. These people were poor, but they were rich in what mattered most. And Jesus recognized what, he gave, what they gave up for him. Next, we see that Jesus also saw the wickedness of others. I know he doesn't always deal with it on our timetable. Anybody wish, like, I don't know, I think of the cheesy like, cartoons I watched when I was a kid, back when cartoons were actually clean. 
little side note there. I get sick and tired of uh, dirty cartoons now. It's ridiculous. I don't know. Cartoons used to be easy. They used to be clean. But uh, there, there were always like lightning bolts in heaven for like people to get like zapped with. Anybody wish God had a couple lightning bolts they could direct at some wicked people? Yeah, I, I'm not as smart, as merciful, as gracious as God. I'm not as just as God. I'm, I'm glad I'm not in control of that. But we could think, man, God, why don't you see what's going on? Why don't you see the wickedness? He does. Why don't you stop it? He will in his perfect time. Revelation 2, 9, he says, Jesus is saying, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. These Jews that knew better, rejecting Christ, perfectly willing to offer that pinch of incense to Caesar, perfectly willing to compromise the things that matter most. I think an application of this for us, because we'll say, wow, that's wicked, that's wicked, don't do it, don't do it. If our lives are not saying it, I'm not sure our mouth should bother. There's the expression, talk is cheap. Now, I'm absolutely for taking a bold stand with our words, for Jesus and against wrong, absolutely. But our lives better match up. Our lives better be saying it so loud. These people, the false Jews, the, the Jewish people that were rejecting Jesus and worshiping the Caesar, fitting in with society, they didn't have to look at these Christian Jews and say, are they Christians? Do they, do they, do they really love Jesus? Or are they really different? No, it was obvious. Their life was backing it up before they said a word. I wonder how many of the Christians got to witness to these Jews that were rejecting Christ and went them to the Lord because it started with them being willing to even risk their lives for Christ. I wonder how many of those synagogue of Satan Jews got saved from an eternity of that and are in heaven now. It was tough back then. History even tells that these false Jews eagerly participated in the, uh, the killing, the martyrdom of the bishop, the pastor, Polycarp, years later. This was not a godly place. But they were able to live for Christ no matter what. Next, we see that Jesus assured them of victory ahead of time. Verse 10 in Revelation 2, Fear none of those things which thou shalt shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried. And ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. We wonder if it's coming in our lifetime in America. I mean, it's, it's in our lifetime right now in many parts of the world. Persecution, Christians being put to death, horrible things. In, in our world right now, probably literally this moment. But we wonder in our lifetime. Some of you are thinking, absolutely, in our lifetime. I would guess in mine. Christians will be thrown in jail pretty frequently in America. I imagine, but I don't know. Jesus was telling them, hey, this is what's coming. You're going to be thrown into jail. Be faithful unto death. He knew what was coming. He let them know. But their victory was won before the battle even began. It was won before it ended. It was won even before it began. In fact, the ultimate victories in life usually are won before the battle even starts. If we'll decide now, when life's still pretty good, still pretty easy to be a Christian, not as popular as it used to be, but still pretty easy, we'll decide now, hey, even when it gets tough, even if it's tough now, even if it's tough tomorrow, no matter what, I'm not caring about other people's opinions, I'm not caring if it loses me money, I'm not caring if it loses me a job, I'm not caring what, if it loses me friends, if family looks at me weird, I'm going to live all out for Jesus like these Christians in Smyrna did. If we'll live that way now, it'll only be natural to live that way then. One commentator said, because Christ is Lord over all of life's circumstances, we have nothing to fear. Jesus assured them victory ahead of time. And lastly, for the church of Smyrna, 
Simple challenge for all of us. This encouragement and challenge to them is for everyone who will hear and receive it. It's verse 11 that said, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. I wonder how often our view of a Sunday school lesson or our view of a sermon or a church service in general is directly related to our personal devotions before we came to church. I wonder if we're coming here, gathering together, prepared already. We've already been worshiping the Lord. And I know people do devotions at different times, so maybe you're even thinking Saturday night. I get all that. Uh, some people, if they try to do devotions first thing in the morning, they, yeah, they need about three, four cups of coffee before their, their eyes are going to focus. I get that. But I wonder how much our personal worship affects our view, good or bad, of, wow, that was a great sermon, God spoke to me, or I didn't really get anything out of that. I wonder if we have ears to hear on our own, and then we gather together into church, and we get to have a good-looking church that hears and receives and lives out God's word. As we move on to the church in Philadelphia, this really was a faithful church that Jesus rewarded with eternal things. Faithful church that Jesus rewarded with eternal things. And uh, for sake of time, I won't read the entire passage about them ahead of time. I'll read it as we go. But first of all, we see that Jesus rewarded their faithfulness with greater opportunity. This is awesome. This is what we should want most. Not a reward of easier circumstances, even though that's nice too. Not a reward of financial prosperity, even though that's nice too. But a reward of greater opportunity to tell others about Jesus and to live for Jesus. Revelation 3, verse 7, notice how Jesus identifies himself here and how he describes himself. It says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, really speaking of authority there, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. These were Christians, these were Jewish believers that were being shut out of the synagogue by ungodly Jews. So they're facing constant shut doors. Many of them, no doubt, grew up Jewish in that synagogue. And now they can't even step foot in the door to worship God. They were worshiping the one true God. And they want to worship him in the synagogue still. And they accept Jesus as their Savior. They want to worship their Messiah. And the door is shut. So Jesus comes to them and assures them, hey, I'm the one that can shut a door and no man can open it. I'm the one that can open a door and no man can shut it. Jesus has complete control. He has the key of David. Again, speaking of his control and authority, he's in control of the outcome. It's okay if he sees fit to allow some less than ideal circumstances during the battle. In Philadelphia, these Judaizers were shutting the door against Christians. But let me ask you, doors are pretty wide open. Do we go through doors of ministry? Jesus is going to go on to describe how because of what they're doing, because of their faithfulness, he's going to give them greater opportunities to minister for him. <laughs> we got some pretty great opportunities. I mean, as a church, but just as believers here in Virginia, as believers in our families, in our workplaces, all of it, there's a lot of open doors. Are we going through them? We will not go through them then if we don't go through them now. I think a lot of Christians think, man, when it gets hard, I'll step up. Really? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Doesn't really work that way. Man, when it's easier now, let's step up now, and it'll only be natural by God's grace with him giving us extra help to keep stepping up then. This church seems to have had a vision for the lost. And i got to be honest, many of you, maybe all of you know what Philadelphia means. 
city of brotherly love. Having a vision for the lost around us, there's no greater brotherly love than that. A beautiful, beautiful church. It was said about them, about many churches, that unbelief sees the obstacles, but faith sees the opportunities. We can see nothing but problems or nothing but opportunity. Next, we see this church. Jesus rewarded what they did with what they had, not what some other church had. Revelation 3.8, kind of a unique expression. It says, for thou hast a little strength. That was a compliment, not an insult. That wasn't, why aren't you stronger? I think this was a smaller church. I know many believe that. I believe this was a, a smaller, therefore a little bit weaker in numbers at least, church. Jesus did not fault them for that. Jesus didn't fault them for only having a little strength. They were faithful with what they had, with where they were at, and that was commendable. We could look at, you know, this church or that church, good grief, if you hop around the internet and look at this church or that church across America, there's some really, really big churches. America, and some big churches are good, but America has a lot more mega churches than America has faithful big churches. It doesn't matter. If God grows us, let's reach even more people with the bigger group we have here. No matter what size we are, no matter what opportunities we have, no matter what finances we have, let's use every bit of it faithfully to God. Jesus did not criticize them for only having a little strength. They were right where they were supposed to be. We need to be faithful. And they depended on Jesus' strength in that. It's been said today, many churches think there are too few people with too little money, too few gifts, and too few opportunities. But in 2 Corinthians 12, 10, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. We have every bit of strength we need, every bit of help we need to step forward and be faithful for God. And he'll use it. He can use smaller churches like this church in Philadelphia to do bigger works, whereas a lot of bigger churches that aren't willing, they don't do as much for God. Let's be willing to step up with who we have and where we are. And God has blessed this church. I don't think we're a small church by any stretch. But it's not about, oh, if we got bigger, then we could make a difference here in Rayfeed or in Augusta and Rockbridge counties. No, no, no. We can make a difference now because it doesn't matter how many people we have. God is the one that can bring the increase. Let's step up for him faithfully. Next, we see Jesus saw how they responded to his word. Revelation 3.8, and, and hast kept my word. Pretty simple. Read it, know it, respond. I can say it. Really easy to say. You could say it right now. We could all say it together. We won't take time. I'm not saying I'm perfect at doing it, though. It's a daily thing. We're going to be in God's word. We're going to know what it says. We're going to know what it says and live it out. Man, if we're not living God's word out as purely as we can and more and more purely now, Boy, things get difficult. It'll just be so easy to slip away from it. Let's live all out for God now. It's a simple point, but an important one. Jesus saw that thou and hast kept my word. Staying faithful to God's word, it'll lead to opportunities and open doors. I love this saying, when the word of God is the priority, everything else will fall into place. And I think that was in context of this passage of a church. I mean, that's true for an individual. That's true for a job search. That's true for a family. That's true for a marriage. That's true for a Sunday school class. That's true for a teen group. That's true for children's groups. That's true for everything. When the word of God is the priority, everything else will fall into place. We wonder how we can ever make a difference as the world gets worse. Let's start by continuing to keep the word. Next, we see Jesus rewarded them for the same reason that others rejected them. 
Continuing on in Revelation 3.8, says, and has not denied my name. That's what made him unpopular. If they just say, ah, we'll get over this whole Jesus thing, we'll deny his name, we'll blend in with everybody else, or we'll be secret Christians, but we're just not going to try to tell people about Jesus or tell them what the Bible says about their sinners and they need Jesus. You know, we're all sinners, but we found Jesus and you need to find him too. We'll just fit in with the world around them. They would have been right popular. Wouldn't have faced any shut doors. They'd have been allowed in the synagogue. But they stepped up. Jesus rewarded them for not denying his name. Maybe the very reason we're going to face persecution is the thing the world will hate, but Jesus will love. Let's be willing to please Jesus. It's interesting. It was just last week. I saw this maybe two days ago. I was telling the teens about this this morning. I posted a very uplifting quote. I think it was from Corey Ten Boom on our What Do You Wonder website, our Facebook page for that. Very uplifting, very positive, not even too much of a step on your toes kind of post, but it did mention Jesus. Literally, someone saw the need to get on there and literally put the quote, go extinct. In other words, Christians die. <laughs> Stop being Christians. Christians go away. He also was nice enough to put a, a chart, and I don't know this individual. I hope he's watching. I really do. I've been praying for him. But uh, put a chart of how Christianity is becoming less popular, and he just wants it to become all the way gone. People don't like the Bible if they're choosing to reject it. But let's be willing to please Jesus. I got to be honest, this wouldn't always be the case. I think God's up to something. I'm extra eager. I'm, tomorrow morning, one of the first things I'm going to do is post another post to What Do You Wonder. I'm not going to, like, be a jerk and tag that guy or anything. I don't even remember his last name. I'm not going to be unkind about it. But at the same time, let's be willing to take a stand, do the things that Jesus liked, even if those are the very things that the world doesn't. Next, we see Jesus promised to set everything right. And that promise applies to us as well. Revelation 3, verse 9, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. There's the expression, he who laughs last, laughs best. And I, I, it's a reminder here that we want to win in the end, even if we're not winning now, but I'm not laughing at those who are rejecting Jesus. I'm burdened for them. My heart breaks. I don't want to be laughing at them. I don't want to be weeping for them in eternity. I want to be celebrating that they changed from the synagogue of Satan into followers of Christ, and let's do all we can to help share our faith. Next we see, not only did Jesus promise to set everything right, and he will in the end, but let's bring everybody we can along with us. Jesus promised a reward that is greater than what we're going through. The good outweighs the bad. It's greater than the difficulty. Revelation 3.10 because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation. I believe that's referring to the tribulation. Real grateful if you read the rest of Revelation. I'm real grateful. I'm not going to be here for that. But which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. The reward of heaven, the reward of being saved from an eternity in hell, boy, that far outweighs any bad we suffer for the name of Christ right now. We've got to keep that eternal perspective and it will help us. I heard this song lyric, this message was, you know, kind of brewing in my heart and my mind earlier this last week, and I heard this as a song lyric, maybe you know the song, but it says, when all I see is a cross, God, you see the empty tomb. And sometimes we can see the cross, and Jesus died for our sins, but he's there also remembered. He didn't stay dead. He rose again. He is the victor. He's already won the ultimate victory. Now we can lose a little battle right now. We don't have to win everything. Everything doesn't have to be easy right now. He not only died, he rose again. He's living. He is the victor. He's already won the victory. Let's look at just a couple more points real quick. 
Next, we see Jesus encouraged them to put up with the temporary to gain an eternal reward. Revelation 3, verse 11, it says, Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast that which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. Probably a lot of deep meaning we could try to draw out, but pillars are pretty permanent. I'm real glad these pillars are. Like, I'm standing underneath this roof. I've been up there in the attic. I'm glad these pillars in our church are real strong. God will give us a permanent place. He'll give us something that nobody can take away. Pillars stay put. Strength, honor, permanent security. Something that cannot be taken away. These believers were suffering. Having even permission to enter the synagogue denied them because of Christ, of their faith in Christ. And he was promising something to them that no one could take away. He not only, Jesus not only promises an eternity in heaven if we have our faith in him, but he promises eternal rewards. Some of them come now, some of them come in eternity, and nobody can take those away. Jesus also offered them a name and a place to belong. We're almost done, but this is really cool. Verse 12, it says, And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. These people were going to belong. It's okay if we don't belong here as long as we belong there. Is your name written down in the book of life? Are you on your way to heaven? It's okay if we don't feel like we fit in. It's okay if everybody laughs at us. It's okay if we get mean comments, even though that one wasn't terrible, but kind of mean comments on a Facebook page. It's okay. It's okay if we don't belong here as long as we belong there. Let me just, last verse I'll read, Revelation 3.13, it wraps it all up. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Once again, these challenges are for all of us who will hear and receive it. Ours can be this kind of church, and it starts with each of us. If we want a church that fits all of these, and maybe we already fit many of them, I don't know, but if we want to be a church that fits these characteristics, let's be individuals. Let's have lives, families, Sunday school classrooms, friendships, testimonies, outreach that Jesus can praise. If we want to be a good-looking church, and even better and better, I think we are in so many ways strong spiritually, but we, if we're always going to be growing more and more like Jesus, let's individually and as a group gather together and be more and more like Jesus. Philadelphia was a faithful church that Jesus rewarded. Similar reward is available to us as well. So how can we have a good-looking church? Let's have each Sunday school class, each family, each individual in this church growing stronger in the Lord, building momentum as we come together and we just strengthen each other more and more. And so much of that is happening. Let's just take a look at everything Jesus praised these churches for and each take a look at our own hearts and lives where we can improve. Kind of a silly way to end it, but one of our all-time absolute favorite Brooklyn quotes is this was, I don't know, maybe four years ago, I'd be a guess. But uh, I think it was at night the first time, but she just was really, you know, just, just really excited about Jesus. And she said, you've got to love God with all your heart and your beard. <laughs> I don't know. I just, uh, and once in a while, we'll get her to say it again because it's just great. Now, if you're a beard-wearing guy, I mean, you'd probably agree. If you're going to be a good-looking guy, you've got to have a beard. Those of you who are clean-shaven can disagree with that. That's all good. But <laughs> cheesy reminder, I hope Brooklyn's very fun, very silly comment helps us remember Whatever we've got, beard, no beard, doesn't matter. Whatever we've got in our lives, rich or poor, whatever, 
no matter whether we've got a lot of strength or a little strength, let's use everything we've got to the glory of Jesus. That's how we can be a good-looking church. Let's pray. Father God, you've blessed Marlbrook for more than a century in so many ways. And we, we do thank you for a beautiful physical building and for so many spiritually beautiful people that have been in here and, and are now. But I pray that each of us will take a look at our lives and take a look at your word, even this, these lists from Smyrna and Philadelphia, and see how we can be the right, good-looking Christians the way you want us to, how we can use everything we have for you. Maybe it's easy right now. Maybe it's difficult. I'm sure some people in here going through some stuff, maybe because they're Christians. No matter where we find ourselves, may we live now all out for you. And if things change, things get more difficult, or things get easier, may we continue to live faithfully for you. Thank you for these examples from your word. Pray that you'll bless the activity to follow. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're done, but if you...